And the next mayor is going to have to be figuring out a way to both navigate the conflicts with the state and build new partnerships with the state. And they're going to have to do that at the same exact time. And there's frankly no one in this race and very few people in the city who have as much experience as I do doing either of those things. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. My name is Jamie Holland. Jeff Yarborough is our guest on the show. Candidate Yarborough is going to, you're going to hear from him. Senator. Senator, excuse me, Senator Yarborough coming up on the show, of course, running for mayor. We got some news in the mayoral race. One person has dropped out, so we'll get to that, uh, as well as some early voting totals that we'll get to as well. And what does that project out to in terms of total vote? So uh, again, you're going to hear from Jeff Yarborough today. Uh, We will also this week have some conversations with both Heidi Campbell and Sharon Hurt as well, trying to get you as many possible interviews, long form sit down conversations with these mayoral candidates before August 3rd election. One candidate that we will not be interviewing, Jamie, Jim Gingrich, has decided to drop out of the race. Now, the timing of this is interesting and worth noting for people because his name will still be on ballots as we are counting early votes today. What impact does his dropout have on the race as a whole? Setting $2 million on fire is mind-blowing. He could have funded the reconstruction of two MNPS football fields and could have got his name emblazoned on the field. That would have been at least set him up for his next run at mayor. I don't know that it has an impact because one, he wasn't getting any traction. Nobody knew who he was. Politicos giggled at his commercials. Congrats. But his name's still on the ballot. Fewer people know he got out than they got in. But he's still going to get at least a 1,000 votes. And through the close of business yesterday, Thursday, 17,150 people have voted. So through the first six days, from the 14th through the 20th, Jim Jim Gingrich will have some of those 17,000 votes. Yeah. So, irresponsible to not get out when your name could have been taken off the ballot. Responsible to get out now. But I'm sure he's actively soliciting other campaigns uh, or vice versa. Other campaigns are reaching out to him for, quote unquote, his endorsement. I would ask him, hey, if I was one of the front runners, hey, will you come out against me? (laughs) Because that's going to help me. (laughs) So, because he was negative on Nashville. Yeah, well. And hypocritical. You know, getting rid of out of town developers, yet living in a condo built by out of town developer. I mean, did the $2 million at least help some people? it helps some local media maybe 
helped local media and he kept amplifying things that were in the news as opposed to showing his knowledge Mm -hmm. of how the metropolitan government works you know i would say his expertise is fleecing the state for incentives to relocate his company here before you retire all right he's out of the race there you go. Uh, Bye. Excellent, excellent use of resources on his part. Again, the numbers, I, this part I do think is interesting before we hear from, from Senator Yarborough. 17,150 people early voted uh, in the first six days. So if you do the math, that's just under 3,000 votes per day. And if we continue on this track through the 29th, which is when you should be early voting, if you're going to vote, of course, August 3rd is the election. Just as a reminder, uh, you can, all your polling locations, by the way, are linked in the show notes, as well as emails for all your council members. So if you do the math on that, you could get to 40, 45, maybe even 50,000 early votes. What does that tell us about the electorate? And what does that tell us about totals? What you need to get to to get into the runoff on August 3rd? Well, I think in a prior episode, Braden, I said Matt was a, in the number one position. There I say it, poll position. And whoo, man, the Freddy people came unglued based on that analysis. Let me say I discounted one particular person that the polls have indicated is the clear leader in the race. And that is in number one position, that is undecided. (laughs) You and I have talked a lot about this. I don't know how 17,000 people have decided on who they're voting for. I have no idea what gave them the conviction to go to the poll to pick somebody to vote for mayor. Does that tell you anything about front runner status or runoff status, though? Again, like we, we can do the math problem here and we can say, all right, you need to get to X percentage. You know, is 22 percent going to be the first place vote? Is it going to be 17 percent? Is that 17,000? Like, what's the number? We can kind of play that game and, and, and do the math out on that. I'm just curious the fact that you could have 40 or 45,000 people voting early. What does that tell you about their conviction and who that conviction might be for? Does it tell you anything at all? Just the, just the, either end of the extreme spectrum have already decided and they're already pretty set on where they're going to go. Yeah. Still, I think it's a reflection of low information and it's looking like a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand, not dollars because Jim Ginger spent about a hundred dollars per vote or more low information and what's happening right now. Well, they're going to start bombarding the airways, your mail. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of all of a sudden was quiet and like, is the mail piece really going to put you over the edge? Like, I don't know. I see some meme worthy pieces of mail out there. Maybe that's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> I just think it's going to be a push, pull, or drag, and it's going to be close at the top to see who makes the runoff. All right, so no clear number one. No, undecided no, is clearly yeah, that's number true. one. Sorry, sorry, undecided is is our new mayor. They have broke what you're saying because it felt like when we started analyzing this a couple episodes ago with 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 Steve Cavendish that there would be a front runner and then two, three, and four would be very close, but it's starting to feel like one through three or four could be very close is what you're saying correct okay which means consume as many long-form conversations with candidates as possible like you're going to hear on this show 
We've already got Freddie out there. We've already got Matt Wilcher out there. You're going to hear Jeff Yarbrough today, and we're going to have Heidi Campbell and Sharon Hurd as well. We have requested every single candidate, uh, except for Jim Gingrich. We did. We, we that one's just been canceled. So, uh, oh, canceled. It's been retracted. Canceled. Uh, unless he wants to come on and endorse somebody, that would be fun. <laughs> we could do that. Um, all right. Anything else you want to say about early voting at all before we hear from Senator Yarbrough? Quit trashing these places with your damn signs. Follow, is, follow the rules. It is out of control, particularly ones that are on privately owned property. These venues don't charge rent, but they give up their space to provide a service to the community. The least we could do is be mindful of the space and take care of it. Don't trash it. And no, no, dear listener, uh, democracy is not under attack because some asshole candidate that's not going to win can't get their signed location on a major corridor. Uh, okay, early voting. Make sure you get out there. Uh, locations are linked in the show notes, of course. And again, for those of you who are in the lead, undecided, uh, here was our conversation with Senator Jeff Yarbrough. Jeff, thanks for coming in studio with us. We really appreciate it. How are you, sir? Doing great today. So let's start with your sort of unique role heading into this campaign uh, on the state level. What is it about your role and your experience in that particular situation that differentiates you from everybody else that's running for mayor right now? For the last nine years, I've been representing this city in the state legislature and really defending the city and fighting the fights of Nashville. So when we've had priorities to advance as a city, whether it be affordable housing, transit, cleaning up downtown, regulating party buses, I've been the one who's been doing that work at the state level, building those coalitions, working with the city and getting the work done. When the states tried to do overreach and target Nashville, I've been the one standing up and trying to push back against those fights. And the next mayor is going to have to be figuring out a way to both navigate the conflicts with the state and build new partnerships with the state. And they're going to have to do that at the same exact time. And there's frankly no one in this race and very few people in the city who have as much experience as I do doing either of those things. So how do, how do the skills of a senator translate to being CEO of a city? The issues that I've been dealing with are exactly the ones that we're facing right now as a city. When we were trying to work through party buses, that's me working with the mayor's office, with the, the stakeholders in the city, the downtown tourism district, the people who are mad as hell, and then also the people who are operating these these vehicles to try to figure out how we work through a compromise, get to a regulatory scheme that everybody can live with. Running through an issue like that is exactly what the kind of issue that comes to a mayor's desk almost every day. The mayor is not going to sit in the in the office and with a whiteboard and decide which direction all the buses are going to go and what time they're going to arrive. The mayor's got to do the things that only a mayor can do. And that's really engage in the leadership activities of identifying what are our key challenges? How are we going to build a coalition? Where are the obstacles that we've got to overcome and getting the work done? And that's the exact work I've been doing every day for the last nine years. And I, I would put an asterisk currently right now by CEO of the city, because currently the director of law is running the town and leaving behind the fucking mess. Is that a question? 
No, it's <laughs> well. Do you agree or disagree with that? There's the question, Brady. There you go. I look. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think that we need to have clear leadership right now as a city. I think there's a lot of decisions that that cities like Nashville that are growing like we do have to make, and we're just not making them. We are so far behind on housing that it is becoming a crisis and it will continue to be a crisis unless we see real leadership at the mayoral level. We are sort of at this pivot point where you could end up being a city like San Francisco where they just never dealt with their affordability crisis and they have seen the chaos and, 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 and issues that come from that and now you're seeing people disinvest from that city altogether. The alternative way that other cities have dealt with this kind of growth is just not any planning at all. And you end up being 3,000 square miles concrete sprawl like Houston, Texas. Nashville can't go that either of those directions, but it's going to take somebody who's going to really lead the city if we're going to grow in a smart way. Brayden, I'm going to jump in there because he, 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 he said my magic word. So... Big policies are important on housing, yes, 100%. So is making sure what's currently coming in the door is not unduly delayed. And that brings me into a little detail, two, two parts. One, what's in front of you right there, House Bill 296. I don't know the Senate bill number as well. I think it's 723. 723. But that was the third-party electrical inspection bill. You sponsored it shepherded it through the senate i lobbied it true all those things are accurate all right so what nashville doesn't understand and what the city didn't understand at the time is on january 19 2023 the state fire marshal shut down the ability of the city to accept what's called a third party electrical inspection and tell me what the result of that legislation in front of you and how that came about well first let's talk about what the result of what the state fire marshal cracking down on that practice was is when around march this year we had six electrical inspectors working for metro codes each one of them had about 350 pending inspections due every single day they'd usually end the day with more inspections to do than they started with and it was just creating delay and ex expanded cost on every single project in town and who does that help literally no one i mean that is bad for the people who are building it is bad for the people who are financing the building it's bad for the people who are buying the building and it actually just makes neighbors more angry too <laughs> because most of us don't mind the you know, the finished product as much as they do the ongoing construction what's happening on our streets. And so what we did is we brought together the folks from Metro Codes, the people from the fire, the state fire inspector's office, the, you know, the engineers, the contractors, the home builders, and we worked on legislation to make sure that we could get third party certification back in so that these processes could go into, into effect quicker. And we also had to work you know, a lot at the end, this was actually one of the last pieces of legislation that passed this year. It was a conference committee out in the hallway where I'm sitting there with Paul Bailey and folk who's the Republican Senator and other folks from the house. 
and we are knocking heads and, and people are almost cursing in the hallway to try to actually force through a compromise that would get it done quick because we knew here that we needed to fix this problem and fix it now. And it's already started in, you know, end practice in Nashville and speeding up how quickly we can get products online. And really one of the first things the next mayor's got to do, Brayden, is like there's so many things like this from permitting and water and NDOT and pl- where we have a thousand little delays. And you can talk all you want to about affordable housing, the government's building, but when the government itself is slowing down and adding cost every week, to every project in town, you're not going to fix affordable housing unless you're fixing that. And the next mayor is going to have to spend a lot of time bulldozing through a lot of, you know, problems just like this one. So I called a bunch of my clients yesterday in, in the lead up to this meeting. And currently on average, it is four to six months for plans to be approved after submittal by civil engineers to get a building permit. Who are the primary suspects of the problem? NDOT and the water department, which is the parent entity of stormwater. Often submittals fall into the abyss. They are gone. We are not doing the ABCs and one, two, threes, and the next mayor absolutely has to take command of that failed process. I don't think there's any question that's right. I mean, you know, you can place an order on DoorDash and track it every step of the way, but you submit, you know, million-dollar plans into Metro, and you're not sure where it is at any given moment. And people who do business with our city need to have some degree of predictability. I, I mean, I think people can, if they understand that there's a delay built in the system or there's a time period of review and there's things that need to be complied with, I think that's okay, but you got to tell people what it's going to be so it can be predictable and so that it can actually work. So we got to really update that process altogether. One of the sort of structural innovations I want to make to the mayor's office is, you know, every mayor's had a deputy mayor who sort of functions the right hand, does a lot of a lot of the work, you know, of when there's crises that are happening that need to be managed for the city. One of the things that I want to do is create a deputy mayor that is over in the entire infrastructure side of the house. So from dot water, planning, zoning, codes, you know, MDHA, even like where you're talking about these things that are the long-term built environment of the city. You need somebody in that office who is focused on that every day because there's always going to be a crisis, a shooting, a bombing, a tornado, a pandemic. There's going to be something that comes up every day that takes a lot of that office's attention away from this long-term structure, structural stuff of building the city. But the mayor's office has got to be driving change and progress and, think, frankly, be driving speed in a lot of that work. I, I think one of the most interesting things and sort of gets to everything we've talked about so far for me is like coalition building across a lot of different ideological lines, a lot of different party affiliation lines. I think there's a fractured electorate in general. Uh, I think we're far more alike. I just personally, I think we're far more alike than anyone than social media, for example, will let you acknowledge. But you, you how do you marry the work you have to do with people that you don't necessarily agree with, with communicating that to your voters saying, look, we've got to we've got to do this to accomplish 
this other thing that we're all trying to do. Does that make sense? Like it, it, explain why you are uniquely qualified to do the coalition building that is the dirty work and the disagreements with people that you don't see eye to eye on on a million different things. Right. Well, I mean, th this is the work that I do every day in the Senate where we actually have real disagreements. You know, the people who are working in that legislature have wildly different opinions, but we have to work together because we're all in it together as a state. And there's going to be culture war nonsense that distracts people. There's going to be Twitter battles. But you got to have grown-ups that are going to keep on working on the real work of government and not let each little fight along the way distract you from the work that you got to get done together. And so, I mean, that is the critical task that I think is missing so much from our politics today, where everybody wants to be permanent enemies. We here in Nashville are so much more on the same side. I Like, I enjoy the notion of building a coalition in the the confines of Davidson County where we have wide agreement on things. I've been building coalitions to get things done in a place where people really don't agree with us here in Nashville and still have managed to work across the aisle with Republicans to pass eight over 80 pieces of legislation. Some of those are progressive things that have, you know, led the country in, you know, so, I mean, we passed one of the first laws in Tennessee uh, that was one of the first laws in the country to ban paying sub-minimum wages to disabled workers. There are lots of us, you know, quote-unquote progressive states that have never made that change. But that's the kind of coalition we built in Tennessee and got done because I fought a two-year fight and found, built common ground with people who don't agree with me on all sorts of other things. But that's going to be so critical to what the future of our city is. You know, when the I've been up there and watched four different mayors work this city. And when the business community, civic communities, you know, political community of this city is united, when they're on the same page or at least in the same chapter, we are pretty unstoppable. There is nothing we can't get done. But when we are fractured, as we have been here in the last several years, we get picked apart. And so I believe that the ability to actually pull the city together to forge a strategy about how we're going to move forward on transportation, on housing, that is going to be the difference between success and failure for the next mayor. How do you make sure, you said recently you fundamentally agree with, with the Titans stadium deal, talk about fractured, uh, the city very much divided on that issue. So you know where I stand. Personally, I would be the hold my nose and vote for it kind of guy where as long as I get the things that I think benefit most Nashvillians in the deal, then I want the best of both worlds. I want the development and I want the, the new football stadium, but I want it to work for people. How, how do you make sure that that's how this whole thing goes as arguably the biggest development piece of our city's future for the next 10 years? Right. I, I mean, I sort of think there's two different issues here. I think first there's this, an issue that's largely more symbolic and is about this, the city's priorities. I think if you ask most people in Nashville, is the most important thing for our next decade building a new stadium? No one would say that's our the most important thing for the next decade. And I think people feel like when you see that that's the only thing that our Metro Council is discussing for a year and a half, you would think, well, why is that all we're talking about when I've got no sidewalks in my neighborhood when I want my schools to get better? I think that's a much as much a question of the council having an inability to walk and chew gum at the same time as it is 
the the actual terms of the deal. Um, I'd look, we're going to move forward with this deal, and I think the next mayor's got to make sure that it is a success. And what does it mean for that to be a success? It means how do you not make this be a just a, a disaster for quality of life during the ongoing construction for people who already live on this side of the river who are going to be around it? How do you incorporate affordability into it to make sure that it's not just creating a bunch of luxury enclave nonsense, but an actual community where people can live and work and raise kids, where retirees can, you know, actually enjoy a life and not feel like they're attending a 72-hour bachelorette party every week? And I think that if you do that, that's a big win. I think the second piece that I think is a huge opportunity from this is this is a place where we can start building transportation and, you know, frankly, real deal transit into the center of the city in a way that you cannot do in the, the existing downtown plane with its current streetscape. And so I think the way you activate the riverfront to make it a true public benefit, the way you create transit, the way you build in affordability and the way you not that you make it, uh, you know, a public asset that's worthy of whatever public investment, that is what the next mayor has to spend a lot of time working on. I mean, the people of East Nashville have been begging for the redevelopment of the East Bank for as long as I've lived in East Nashville or ever heard about East Nashville. It's like, we got to do something. It can't just be PSC metals. Well, I mean, I think that's the part that actually makes the most sense. Like, it, it has never made sense to have the East Bank of the, of the river be concrete parking lots. I, and it actually makes a far more sense for the that part of the city to develop with the football stadium in a different location than right where it is right now. And so, look, I mean, I think I I was working on this legislation when the you know every in the you know when it was in the legislature, this was there were some conservatives who hate Nashville that were trying to kill the stadium, and the in remarkably progressive Davidson County delegation voted almost unanimously to, you know, to support the effort to, to block the state's conservative wing from, from shutting down the, the investment in Nashville. And so that, I mean, that's the fact that, that we were in the middle of fighting, but the real upside to me is that you are unlocking the East bank because if you don't do that work now, like the East Bank's developing either way. Like Oracle's coming. Like we're we've got all these things around the river. And so if you're kicking the can down the road on the East Bank infrastructure and on the stadium and on figuring out what you're gonna do the Titans, I mean that's look, that's long term that is uh that is not the kind of actual leadership that you need from a mayor. Like yeah, like is this the most politi politically convenient time to undergo this conversation? Well, no, of course not. You don't want to be in the middle of like uh, uh, of doing these things, you know, time after time. But it is what makes sense for the East Bank of the River, and sometimes you got to do what's best for the long term view of the city. And I think that that is what will end up being best for the long term view of the city. I mean, the timing couldn't have been worse from from a political perspective because sure. it's bleeding over into an election. But there was also never a competing proposal. There was all just shit posting and dogging the one that was right. I mean, and 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 look, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm against spending public money on a stadium. Well, no, they're not. They were for spending different set of public money on a different stadium project. 
And I, I think spending property taxes to renovate the current stadium and just kick the can down the road on what we're going to ultimately do on Titans. Well, I mean, if you want somebody that's going to play that, like do finger in the wind, short-term politics, like I'm not your mayor. Like I'm not going to do that. And uh, But I think that, uh, you know, the, if, if somebody wanted to really – uh, come up with an alternative proposal. They had all the time in the world because Metro Council took it all the time in the world working through this, and I never heard any competing proposals that were serious. Yeah, nineteen ninety six, we took a vote on it. We became pregnant with the Tennessee Titans for good or for bad. That's right. And like, hey, can't abort now. It's not allowed in the state of Tennessee anyway. <laughs> I mean, pregnant is the right word. Whatever. It, I mean, again, there's not even a whole lot of purpose in us rehashing right. the deal itself. The details of the deal, it's here, and it's you, done. you as the next mayor, have to deal with it That's no matter right. what. And so, I guess that speaks to a larger conversation about affordability. And I know we already touched on housing briefly, but transit um, that that goes to our police being able to live in this city more, to be inside their communities. It goes to teachers being able to live more inside their communities. I, you know. We, we talked to all the candidates and, and you've had a lot to say about affordability, I, I, like from a detail standpoint, because there's things the mayor can do and there's things the mayor can't do. What What is it that you can do when you get into office that starts to address the affordability issue uh, from across the board, uh, across the spectrum? Again, police, schools, housing, transit, et cetera. What can you actually do? Well, so you're exactly right, because I think we're having we talk about affordable housing all the time in the, these forums. But people mean different things when they talk about affordable housing. What I mean is we don't have enough housing for anybody. We don't have enough renter units for uh, people who are employees. We don't have starter homes for families trying to get going. We don't have places for retirees who are looking to downsize. We don't have workforce housing for our teachers. We don't have supportive housing for people who are, you know, unhoused. We don't have, we just don't have enough housing and we got to do something about it. And fundamentally, when you got more people that want to live a place than you got places to live, the prices are going to go up for everybody. So the next mayor's got to be much more serious about how you're increasing just the overall housing supply. Now, how you do that specifically? One, I think you got to think through how you're going to use density and zoning and transit to genuinely increase the capacity and housing supply across the city and you got to think about how you're actually building communities when you do that you know you can't build uh, like one of the things that i think you got to insist upon when you're thinking about the east bank or what's going on downtown like where are those folks supposed to go to school like where are the child care centers like are we literally just going to build like all these residential units for 20 year olds and retirees and i mean You've got to figure out a way that you're actually building neighborhoods as you're doing it, or you're not actually building a real city. And I think that that's the kind of way that we have to start thinking when we think about density. But then you got to have like real plans for where, how are you going to grow along corridors? How do you do, you know, sort of the mid-level density, you know, in the in the city? And how do you do the things that actually help the the people who make this city work afford to live here? I mean, I think you do have to have some down, down payment assistance programs and that kind of work for our teachers, our firefighters, our cops, because the people who do that work for our city should be able to be part of our city. And frankly, they'll be better at their jobs if they are. And so, I mean, I think that this is going to be, there's no magic wand here. There's no, like, we're not going to pass an ordinance and then, like, affordable housing's done, guys. Thanks, I solved it. Right. I mean, it's a day-by-day, block-by-block flight. 
or you got to figure out how you're leveraging Metro property, how you're leveraging the Barnes fund to do a lot more than what we've been doing. Like we're nibbling around the edges of this problem. And I mean, look, I mean, people tell you like we've created this many, you know, several hundred units. We've lost that many affordable units in the same time frame. Yeah. So you got to think about how you're preserving affordable housing and building a whole lot more of it. How many mayors or candidates for mayor come from Dyersburg, Tennessee? Not enough. And what what did you learn from Dyersburg that's helping you in your campaign now? Well, I mean, I became who I was in Dyersburg. I mean, so Dyersburg's a small town that's about 13 miles from the Missouri Boot Hill. My d- granddad and dad were farmers. My mom was a social worker for the state and then the Dyersburg City School System. And, you know, that's the place that made me who I was. It's a place like most small towns where you know everybody. There's just one high school. There's just one middle school. There's just one elementary school. And everybody in that city, you know, goes to that. Goes That's where they go. And I think you, you learn to, you know, get along with all sorts of folks. I mean, uh, you know, I was raised to demonstrate respect to every human being that I ever came across. And the quickest way for me to get in trouble was to not do that. I think that that's probably the, the most valuable lesson I've ever learned. And then, you know, uh, if you grow up working on a farm, you, uh, you learn that you don't actually want to be one of these people that gets rich and buys a hobby farm. Like, like I went to college, to stop doing that work. Right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hard work. And, uh, but, uh, you, but you do learn the value of hard work and you learn, you know, to respect the people that do it. And I think that that if you ever lose sight of that, when you're doing, doing work in politics and government, you should stop doing government and politics. Uh, I'm envisioning Braden a funeral for the zoning code of 1998, January 1st, right? Yeah. That's the birth. And January 1st, we're, we're, we had the 25 year birthday anniversary, whatever you want to call it. It's time for the funeral. I mean, 25 years seems long enough for a zoning code, right? Like that's a little crazy. So yeah, no, we've got to do that. So you said nibbling around the edges, not to go back to, to housing here, but it, you know, Jamie makes me do it. I'm contractually obligated. (laughs) Right. Um, but there are radical ideas out there in, in other cities and I'm not suggesting we should be like any other city. We have to be like us, but the, the ideas of just completely doing away with, you know, single family housing, for example, is, is an idea that's gotten bipartisan support in a variety of very random places that you would not think would agree on this kind of thing. Um, is that the type of big swing? I, I hate to use that cliche, but is that the type of thing we're talking about here is Jamie wants to do everything he can to get rid of the, the January 1st, 1998 zoning code. And is that an example of a, of a radical idea that you could find a way to work both sides of the of the ideological spectrum to get accomplished. Confession: I'm tip of the spear, I, I know. T- trying to be. There are people ahead of me. I'm trying to run out in front of them. I don't care. Paint it yellow. Slap a turd emoji on it. I'm for it. Let's go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you follow that, Jeff. Well, uh, I don't either. So, uh, <laughs> look. I mean, I'm not gonna. That's not just that my instinct about how we should solve that, but I don't think we should turn down any ideas because we are not doing anything close to what we need to be doing to get this solved. I mean, I'll give you my favorite example of something that's actually just dumb. 
like, and makes everybody mad is you think about everybody that complains about tall and skinnies, right? Those, nobody, that is an example of us just failing to make decisions, right? Um, you know, the pro-density side of the equation in town or across the country, they don't like those. The ant, because they're, they're only single, they're still single family right. homes. The anti-density side of, of, of the debate also hates them because they're not consistent with the character of the neighborhood. It's literally just us choosing not to figure out what to do yep. and ending up with the, you know, the worst outcome for all sides. Like we've got to start thinking a lot more about how we're going to do this and be much smarter. And I think we need to have a lot more ideas now. I mean, I think one of the tricks that, that I think matters in this city is that it's look, it's 525 square miles here. Like there are only 20 cities in America that have as many people as we do of those. There's only about four of them that have as much land area as we do. <laughs> We're actually a pretty big place. You don't have to have cookie cutter, mid-level density in every single pocket of the city in order to deal with Nashville housing. Like there should be, what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to lose the character and distinctiveness of neighborhoods. Like you, you know, if I'm blindfolded in the car and like get out. I know if I'm in Germantown. I know if I'm in Sylvan Park. I know if I'm in this, you know, in Inglewood. Right? Like I know you can feel that, you know, when you're in a community. And I don't think you want to lose that. And I think that the way we do, we engage in in all in updating zoning while being true to like a smart planning process that tries to uh, that focuses on how you keep community built and and serve that community while you're doing it that is it's not an easy balance but that's the balance that the next mayor's got to manage i I think it's interesting because i agree with you that it was sort of like we're we're not going to solve the problem either way keeping it single family full acre but not going full density either i completely agree with your analysis of like the the tall skinnies because it doesn't make anybody happy frankly in, in 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 real time but then if we we tie that into transit because density and transit are tied inextricably. But is the is a is a fully functioning bus system? How is it different than the tall skinny as a solution? Is it the first step? Because you know I want my kids in a utopian universe in thirty five years to be lighting, riding light rail, but we need more density to get to light rail. So how is the bus transit system and making it more efficient not the same as just the tall skinny solution, which feels like it's sort of hasn't picked a side is that to use your analogy yeah so i mean i look i actually do think that ultimately you should be working towards some key corridors where you've got light rail i mean look when we did the renovations of the nashville airport we insisted that there be light rail line you know tracks laid out there so that it's able to tap into something and i think we should be engaged in all of our planning to make sure that it is easily convertible to that space and so, I mean, look, if you get a dedicated funding referendum through to do light rail, you can start doing it. But if you don't, you like you've got it. You, there's a different cost you know, metric here. But I do think the way you do the planning, you want to make sure that if you're, you know, for instance, you think about Murfreesboro Pike and think through how you're going to build through southeast from downtown and and the city. You can think about doing 
center lane, dedicated lane, bus rapid transit that's going to feel the same right away as light rail. And you should build and design it that way so that you are ready to, to make those conversions where possible. A lot of the expense here is actually right away in planning, and that's going to be part of the work that we're doing doing as well. And so I don't think that you should uh, uh, – I think we should always be planning for that longer-term future and it, while we are taking the steps that we can afford to take along the way. Because if you don't have dedicated funding, you can't do light rail, right? And yep. that's that's fundamentally – why I don't think I think anybody that promises that they're going to get you there before they work work through the city process of get to dedicated funding like there that's it's you can't do it. But yeah, that's exactly the conversation we got to have. And I think look, one of the things that I think is important is density is not going to be in every section of 525 square miles. Like we're not going to have light rail in Jolton, right? Um, and frankly, that's why, but. But we've got to figure out a way that people understand that the reason that you want to support light rail over in one part of the county is so that, like, we can actually preserve uh, a lot and, and and relieve some of the pressure of growth in other parts. And I think that, that we're, we just haven't had that real conversation as a city about where we want to grow, where we want to grow big, where we and, and how we want to do it. I mean, in former mayors, we had the AMP bus, but the lady over there – and Bell Mead, she didn't want people from East Nashville getting off on her bus stop. But now we got million dollar houses in East Nashville popping up all over the place. Then we went to a light rail referendum. They said, Oh, we're gonna start on Galden Road, even though we knew Galden Road wasn't wide enough. Now are we back to better bus? No, I look, we gotta stop choosing a new transit strategy and vision every time we elect a new mayor. Like, that's not how transit works. <laughs> you know, we can't, this isn't like a Goldilocks thing where like, I'm going to try something small, then I'm going to try something big. Like, you got to figure out a way that we're actually getting the stakeholders together around a plan and, and strategy that's going to outlast my term as mayor and and hopefully the next mayor's term. Because the next time we do a dedicated funding referendum and start planning on transit, if that coalition that's behind it isn't going to survive the mayor resigning or getting hit by a bus, pardon the pun, then like you shouldn't do it. If it's not, if you don't have a coalition that's ready, if it comes up two points short, if that coalition's not ready to start the next day to to update it, uh, make the adjustments and get it done the next election, then you shouldn't start. Uh, and, and frankly, even if it passes, you're probably going to have to think about what you're doing, how you're getting to the next stage after that. We, but we've got to, you know, I, and I think this is, look, this is not simple because if you ask all 40 council people and the mayors and the key stakeholders, like where's transit going to be in 15 years, you would get 75 different answers from people. And that's what you can't, if, if that remains the case, we are never going to get this done. The question I have, trust is a big issue uh, within the council itself, within the state and the local level uh, with voters and candidates. Um, and so I think, you know, and we appreciate your time for coming in, Jeff. The question is, what, what, why do you want the job and why should people trust you to rebuild all that trust? So there is, no, this is one of the hardest jobs that exists in government and politics but it is also one of the best because there is no place 
in public service where you have the capacity to do more work every day to change people's lives in a meaningful way. And if you don't kind of get off on that, like you shouldn't do this work. (laughs) And it is very exciting just to think through all of the places that we can move as a city. Most cities in the United States would do anything to have the problems that Nashville has. I mean, they're real problems. We're living through them. We know them. But if you went and could, if we, we would rather have our problems than the problems of cities that are in decline and decay. We would rather have our problems than the signs of places that tourists don't want to go. <laughs> we would rather have our problems than, the, than a lot of the smaller cities where the economy isn't actually growing, isn't going to make as much sense in the, in the century ahead. We have so many assets to bring to bear, and this is a time that is going that can and should be a remarkable time for this city to, you know, kind of get its swagger back and start moving ahead again. And I think we can do that with real leadership. Now, I I think that people have seen me fight these fights. I think they've seen that I don't, you know, that I'm that I that I don't mince words, that I don't talk fake that I don't say different things to different people. I'm not just trying to make friends all the time. Like I'm going to tell you what I think, but I'm also not going to be so stuck in my head that I'm not willing to listen and get smarter. Cause if the mayor is the smartest person in the room, that means I need to get somebody else to be in the room because the mayor's got to think about everything has to be a generalist has to know when to ha- ask more questions needs to know when other people have to get in the room. People have seen me do the work. They've seen me operate in exactly that way, find common ground, build coalitions, bridge divisions, and get things done. And I think that's exactly the kind of leadership they're looking for in the next mayor. Yeah, thank you so much, man. We thank appreciate you. It. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. That was Senator Jeff Yarbrough. We really appreciate his time. Again, we've got the Freddie O'Connell episode already out, as well as Matt Wilcher. You're going to hear from Heidi Campbell this week, as well as Sharon Hurt. As as many as of them we can we can get done before Election Day, we're going to do them for you. I truly believe, uh, Jamie, this is the absolute best possible way to get to know a candidate, not a forum, uh, not even a debate. I think when you can actually just sit down and have a conversation with these folks is uh, the best way for, for our audience and for voters to make some decisions. Uh, and, of course, I'm keeping you here to do this part of the show because you complained when I did it myself. So here you are at the end of the show. Don't, do, you have, do you have anything to add? Don't follow me on Twitter. There you and go. quit telling people to follow me. At J.R. Holland. H-O-L-L-I-N. <laughs> you, can, you can get to him there. If you'd quit, if you'd quit shit posting, maybe I wouldn't tell people to, to follow you. Give me an example of a shit post, Braden. Yeah, well, some of them I enjoy, so uh, and I agree with. So there you go. Subtweets. Sub- Subtweets. Subtweets. Okay, my bad. Uh, there you go. At, hey, uh, because at, what we're gonna do after this is we're gonna create a new airport authority. Oh, that's next. You're, yep. getting, you're getting rid of the yep. environmental court. Got a new board coming. You got the January first, nineteen ninety eight uh, housing zoning code is gonna get changed, right? You got getting, a new board. We're gonna run the airport. <laughs> Just you and me. I mean, might as well. Hell yeah. I'm down. <laughs> more, more direct flights to London, please. Uh, all right. Uh, for Jamie, I am Braden. Thank you guys all for listening. Please share the show. Tell somebody about it. We really, really appreciate it. And you can follow us, of course, on the socials at Pod, Nash- Pod Bless Nashville, if I can say it correctly. 
uh, on Instagram and Twitter. We do appreciate it. Lots of stuff still coming for you guys, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening.